You're listening to The Straight Dope, Episode 2, Inputs and Outputs. In the last episode, we talked about the craft number, your shooter bracket, and some of the things that we see among shooters that have been participating in that project, namely the difference between expectations, system accuracy, and repeatable precision. I think that when we look at the inputs to a rifle system, we have to include the shooter as the major input. In wilderness survival, the discussion of shelter starts with the clothes that you're wearing. And in shooting, I believe the support should start with the shooter themselves, not the bag, not the height off the ground that it is. The shooter is the person largely responsible for providing inputs to the rifle system that cause the deviations that we see when targets are repeatedly shot at. Many people have pointed out that the input from the shooter has a profound influence, and I think that in long-range precision rifle, the expanded edition, under steady position, this gets pointed out pretty well, so I'm going to read a paragraph from that. The most critical fundamental of precision rifle marksmanship to execute correctly prior to, during, and after shooting is steady position. If your reticle is moving at all while you're in the process of breaking a rifle shot, that human error will be evident on your target by poor shot group. Now we measure this and show it on the craft challenge, and that's why many shooters have craft numbers that are much larger than their fancy tiny groups that show off how well their rifle can shoot. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because we all want a rifle that can shoot one whole groups, but we also want to be able to use it and put around where we want it. Now, that same book goes on to talk about the fundamentals ending with the natural firing position. Here's something that I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. A natural firing position is most easily achieved in the prone position, as the full weight of your body should be behind the gun. In the seated position, while firing from a bench, the recoil of the rifle will have greater effect on the movement of your body during and after the shot is fired. Okay, this quote is something that the rifle drill and philosophy kind of takes and says that's not entirely acceptable. What you want to be able to do is develop a shot process. And, and I'll have to define what I call the shot process in a little bit because everybody uses different language to, to talk about what I refer to as the shot process. Regardless, I feel like for you to understand your fundamental shooting ability, it shouldn't have to be from the prone. And you shouldn't have to make the excuse of, well... When I'm seated, the rifle knocks me backwards and my shot gets thrown. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a way to manage that recoil and apply constant and consistent pressures or influences on the rifle so that regardless of position, we have consistency. We have that accuracy that we talked about in episode one. That, that doesn't mean that you don't have a preferred shooting position, or you know that if you have to shoot a small target, you might be required to find a position more stable because your self-knowledge, the knowledge that you have from doing this kind of stuff has accumulated such that you know, I shouldn't take this shot standing. 
but this isn't an unusual opinion to have. And going back to um, a book that I mentioned in chapter one, uh, Stephen Ranilla kind of hints at this, and um, he mentions shooting in multiple positions. And by doing this, you'll have a better understanding of which shooting postures work best for you at various distances. No matter what the stance you're using, ask yourself the following questions before you take a shot. Do you have a good rest? Is your breathing under control? Is your grip on your rifle secure, but not so strong that it's torquing the rifle? What's your point of impact? Have you picked the exact spot that you want to hit? And so on and so forth. And I think that the point that you can get here is that using language that they speak regularly, they're saying something similar. You have a point of aim and you have to understand where your ability lies next to that point of aim. And it's not realistic to expect your point of aim to be exactly the same as your point of impact. And that's why um, I take that quote from Stephen Ranilla and say that he's essentially describing the shooter bracket. And the shooter bracket is essentially the size of your craft group as a whole converted to a reference bracket on your rifle scope such that when you point your rifle at a target that you intend to shoot, you have a reference to say, yes, the acceptable size of my group fits into the thing that I'm trying to shoot at. Therefore, if I do everything right, I'll be able to hit the target. And I think he describes it in his own language quite well. In fact, Ryan Kleckner kind of refers to the same type of thing in his book. And um, it leads to the next topic that I want to kind of nudge into, which is the influence that we have on the system. But the system itself, uh, that's where you start to induce some issues. But anyway, let me read this quote really quick. It says, um, to many, shooting a precision bolt action rifle is so different that they don't put in the same category as other tactical shooting disciplines. It also is the result of relatively low entry threshold to this romanticized style of shooting. Without training, a shooter can purchase an expensive rifle system and shoot decent groups in paper at 100 yards. Just as with pistol training, however, proper manipulation and use requires learning and practice. Right. He then goes on to say that long-range shooting should be ritualistic. If consistency is key to accuracy, then you should make it a habit to be consistent in how you shoot. So you can see that drawing from this constellation of sources, we have people who are considered experts saying largely the same thing. The shooter has an influence on where the bullet goes. It's up to you to determine and understand the, the amount of deviation that you put into that system. That's something that we're measuring on the craft targets. And hopefully, once we identify what that is, we're able to whittle down the shooter bracket or your, the, the size of the group. We can whittle that down and increase the distance that we're effective at or decrease the size of the target that we'll be effective at. So I've been fortunate to work with a lot of people who've been extensively trained in firearms. And I had the opportunity to go work with some high-level carbine shooters and see how they did what they did and uh, pick up some tips and tricks shooting the style that they do. And 
One thing that really stuck with me, resonated deeply, and I was able to carry over to my bolt gunning, was how they diagnosed the fundamental connections that they had with their rifle system. And one thing that they did was assess how the reticle moved during and after the shot such that they could refine the physical connections that they made with their rifle systems so that the reticle moved the least amount during and after a shot. The reason that was important to them is the requirement and the necessity of a follow-up shot, if not done incredibly fast, could be their lives. So they emphasized that and trained it to the point where they could subconsciously adjust their posture and the grip and tension on the rifle system so that they could shoot as fast as they physically could, and it didn't increase the size of their groups larger than a fist. And not only that, but the reticles never left that zone either, and I think that's important, and that was a carryover that I applied back to bolt gunning. So let's talk about this a little bit. The first thing was they asked where the reticle moved when I took a single shot. And just for illustrative purposes, let's say that the shot you know, rose above the target before I was able to bring it back down onto the target. As soon as I said that, they said, okay, in your right shoulder pocket, I'm a right-handed shooter, the buttstock is a little bit too high. It needs to come down some. The gross movements were largely identified as being where that buttstock's placed in your shoulder. And if it moves up a lot, it was a little bit too high. And the explanation that was given to me is that as the force comes rearward in a well-balanced rifle, these were good rifles, as it comes back in a well-balanced rifle, the rifle tips into the areas with the least amount of support behind them, which makes sense. And if it's too high in your shoulder, that causes the reticle to go up. The flip side to that is if the reticle dropped down under the target, largely it was because there wasn't enough support behind the rear end of the rifle on the bottom aspect of it, so you would raise it in your shoulder and find that sweet spot so that when your rifle came up, it assumed the exact position in your shoulder such that you weren't seeing very large movements up and down when the shot was fired. Smaller movements tend to have a circular pattern, and that circular pattern was largely controlled by the elbow of the support hand as it was gripping the forend of the rifle, and the elevation that that left elbow had influenced the size of the circle and how it rotated around your point of aim. And when that was adjusted correctly in both the right shoulder and with that left elbow angle, the reticle was able to circle while shooting, regardless of speed, within that five-inch zone. And it was pretty spectacular. And it turned on a couple lights. I was excited to come home and see how that affected how I shot my bolt gun. And it ended up changing quite a bit of how I gripped and how I mounted onto that rifle. But first, let me say that with a bolt gun, our expectations, let's just say, are one inch at 100 yards. And we were shooting carbines, and we were expecting about a fist size for so like four or five inches at 25 yards. And so the level of precision and accuracy were much different. The influences were similar. And so the first thing that I wanted to play with was that rifle shoulder connection. First, I need to say that my body has not been treated well over the 47 years that I've been alive. And unfortunately, I've got some holes in the right side of my chest. I've had some surgeries on my upper shoulder and upper thoracic region, which are 
you know, essentially fine. Um, but that's left me with no feeling superficially on the right side of my chest and shoulder. So when I put a rifle up to my shoulder, I can't necessarily tell the amount of pressure that I'm putting into the rifle. And because of that, I messed around a little bit with, with minimal amounts of recoil management. And I've come back to having more amounts of recoil management because I can see that in the movement of my reticle. But it's very hard for me to tell exactly where the buttstock of the rifle is in on my chest or in my shoulder. But one thing that developed from this was moving the buttstock of the rifle from the, shoulder, the tra- traditional shoulder pocket more midline. And this isn't something unique. It's something that Scott Satterley introduced to me, Phil Vallejo does, and a lot of top shooters now put the rifle midline. And I think that there's some mechanical advantage to doing that. In doing that, I can't really tell where it's touching my body other than the fact that my my cheek and my my face can now touch the buttstock a little bit more comfortably as I'm looking over the rifle scope. But I can't really tell how much pressure I'm putting into the rifle, and that's just because I don't have feeling superficially on the right side there. And I say this only to say that I do apply recoil management, but for more importantly, it's the process that I use to mount the rifle is consistent regardless of that position. And you can do it whether or not you can like tell exactly how many ounces that you're putting into the rifle buttstock. You want to be applying the consistent and same pressure. And by doing that and having index points managed on your precision rifle, you can be consistent and you can see measurable results on paper the more you practice it and the more your body gets used to mounting and shooting the rifle in the same way. And I've demonstrated that to myself over the years by bringing my craft number down from probably a three to right around a one. And for me, that proves the point that you can be consistent regardless of position if you develop a habit and it might be an obsessive habit of providing the same inputs to the rifle system every single time. But what are those inputs and what are the things that I've seen on paper? And maybe you've seen them too, and it would be cool to hear from you guys. What I've noticed on the shot though, is that if there is a lack of support behind the rifle, the bullet tends to go in that opposite direction. So if there's lack of support on the right side, the bullet might move off of the support that's on the left to the right, the bullet was going to go left. And so the bullet tends to move in the opposite direction of where there's least support or it moves in the direction of where there's too much support or something hard that it can bounce off of. And, and it's hard to identify which one's which. You have to ask yourself, did that shot go left because there was a lack of support or did it go left because there's something hard in the rifle particularly in the front of the rifle, bounced leftward. And you can see that. If you put it up on a piece of wood and you put the rifle up against a post and you shoot, largely the rifle's going to bounce to the left if the post was on the right. If the post was on the left, it might bounce to the right. If there's something hard contacting it, it might bounce off that hardness. And we can dampen that with shooting bags, but your body's touching the rifle. And so if your hand is up against the left side of the chassis or the stock, the rifle may bounce off your hand to the right, sending the shot to the right. If you're holding it and you've got a thumb up on one side and fingers on the other, there's much more strength in the thumb of most hands, and so the shot is probably going to go towards the direction of the fingers rather than the thumb because 
the rifle is going to move and rotate out of your hand in a direction where there's the least amount of support. And so having that angular support such that it balances out will be reflected in your paper targets and it will be reflected at targets downrange based on those inputs that we have on the rifle. So I have seen a lot of shooters try to minimize how much contact that they have with the rifle. I have also seen shooters try to induce more pressure and input to the rifle. And I don't think one necessarily is better than the other. It's just that you have to be able to reproduce it. In addition to reproducing it, I think you need to figure out whether it works under stress. And what I find is that force is hard to replicate consistency, uh, consistently under stress, whereas less force is much easier to replicate. So keep in mind that if you're going to add pressure to the rifle, if you're going to add recoil management, if you're going to add support like a hand on a chassis or the hand on your scope, you're going to want to be able to replicate that under stress. And a lot of times when people are stressed out, they hang on or they add too much force. And that too much force is going to cause the rifle to move away from that source of force that you're inputting. So if you're relaxed at the range and you've got these great results and you're stressed at a competition or a hunt, you might end up inducing more error than you had initially. And so that's my only point of caution. I can't tell you how to do it, and I'm not going to tell you how to do it because we're all different. But what you want to look for is that consistent pressure applied every time in any position so that as you deduce what you're doing to the rifle in your standing, kneeling, seated, and prone, you're able to replicate that. I think videoing yourself helps. I think shooting with a friend, and I think diagnosing your shots based on where the bullets went, not so much as calling your shots with the reticle, but, oh, my shot went high. I wonder if there's a lack of support on the buttstock on the top of it. Or maybe it's sitting on something hard and the rifle bounced up. Or maybe there's too much force of my face on the buttstock causing the bullet to go high. Maybe my shot went low because I don't have any cheek support. Maybe it went low because the balance of my rifle is too far forward, causing it to dip on the shot. You, you know, it's... It, it's impossible to say what those influences are, but reading the target and the bullet and thinking about whether the influences that you're putting on the rifle are causing those things will allow you to diagnose habits that you may not even understand you had in the first place. So while you're diagnosing that, you might notice that your craft number comes down, the shot group of your 12th position comes down, and that'll reduce the size of your shooter's bracket, making you more effective at the things that you're doing. This all comes from kind of being self-reflective, thinking about and analyzing how you perform your shot using the rifle that you have without doing anything fancy other than self-analysis using paper at 100 yards. While you're doing that, I want you to keep practicing looking at your shooter bracket and thinking about your, how that's going to play in to how you shoot and the things that you shoot at because it's going to take repetition over time to be able to use that and make it a habit of diagnosing whether the shot is 100% or 75% or 50%. But you get the point. You're going to improve as a shooter the more you understand, the more you know about yourself and your habits. Now, the next few episodes, we're going to just talk about rifles, natural point of aim, 
and putting them together so that you can optimize that fit and the consistency of the shooter getting on and using the rifle system because a lot of rifles aren't put together in a way such that it's easy to repeat and comfortable to shoot for long periods of time. I'm going to talk about natural point of aim and some other shooting elements that play into this, but in the meantime, I'd like you to just go out there, shoot some paper, and start thinking about how this might improve your shooting personally without buying any gear that you don't have, right? Use what you've got and reduce that size. Gear's not going to help it, and the techniques that you develop are going to apply to any rifle system that you use. And what's really going to help your shooting is getting out there and shooting and analyzing that process. I think for all of this, it requires live fire, not dry fire, because you need the input of that recoil on the system to diagnose. But we'll get to things that you can do dry fire that might help your shooting. Unfortunately, now you've got to do live fire, and I encourage it to be on paper at 100 yards. Just like last time, if you like this, subscribe to it, share it with friends that you think this might appeal to we're not looking to sell this to people who aren't really into this stuff. We want to attract and accumulate like-minded people that are interested in actually pushing their own limits, not trying to sell some sort of a gimmick. Now, you could certainly support this by subscribing at Riflecraft, but that's largely a gesture. There's some features and analysis that go along with that. But aside from that, I just want participation and feedback from you and understanding that this is entirely free and it's entirely based on improving you as a shooter by expanding our perception and creating a community of people that just want to get better and they want to get better through improving themselves. So if you like it, stick around. And if you don't, thanks for listening. <laughs>